Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. Your guide on the side today, I will be your um, relationship coach and your bad boy antidote. Hmm, I just made that up. Today we're taking on the bad boy. You know, there's a ton of bad boys out there. In fact, right now I can hear thousands of women seeing Justin Bieber, you know, in his slide thinking I could help him. Like he just needs a hug. If he just and had then, a good woman. If he yeah. And I'd true. like to be that woman. And then they'd go in there and save him. We all know every Obviously. bad boy <laughs> just needs a white knight. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh speaking, speaking of bad boys, uh Mike Pond is with us. Michael Pond. I'm right here. You looked like a bad boy when you walked in today. Now I may have the bad boy look, but I am not a bad boy. No, you're a good boy with right. a bad boy look. Now, there's a, there's a difference. Why would you go for the look if you're not a bad boy? Well, that's because weird. girls are into that. Okay, let, well, that's what we're going to talk about today because that seems crazy. Yeah. It does seem crazy. But like it's you, you had the leather coat. You had the hair that was a little askew, I think, because of the wind. I rode my bike. You rode your bike, which is, again, a sign that you don't have a car. I do have a car. Oh, you do have a car. Okay. I'm just trying to, you know, save the conserve. world. You're trying to yeah. conserve, yes. Um, so you're not a bad boy. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe that's another... You just play one on radio. Yes. Today we're talking about bad boys, but not even the bad boys. We're talking about the white knight syndrome. That is the syndrome that takes place when, the, the, when we want to rescue the bad boy or the damsel in distress. Some people have this incredible knack of every person they date, it's always, they're always somebody that needs help. They're always in constant trouble. They're always, you know, struggling and they, they're in debt and they need, anyway, they need help. They need a support. And our own Merritt Meekham has been researching this. For what reason, Merritt? Why? How did we choose this topic of all topics, White Knight Syndrome? I think the biggest reason I thought this topic would be good is because I just see it. All of Every, the time. Do you see it? All, all do you see it on campus? Oh yeah, it's just, and it doesn't even have to be. A lot of what you hear when it comes to white knight syndrome is people who have drug addictions, yeah. who are in severe debt, who've had um, really bad histories of abuse or something like that, something awful. Right. But on kind of a higher level, I feel there's just people who maybe have really low self esteem, yeah, or are very emotionally vulnerable, or can't seem to do things for themselves, need constant reassurance. Yeah. And it, you see that. And I just, it poisons relationships really quickly, but people always go back to they it. They kind of get sucked in because they're needed. They, they're yeah, needed. Yeah, and it's good to feel needed and it's good to feel appreciated and it's good to feel like you can help people. But there's just a point where you need to start helping yourself yeah. and make yourself happy before yep. you help other people. I love to see it. And it's almost like you're a marriage coach. That's right there. You could put that on a bumper sticker. Woohoo. You just need to you, you need to help yourself too, right? It's yeah. not enough to, but that's the problem. Then we we get we we marry somebody that needs us constantly, and we like the being needing needed, and then you kind of build this cycle where 
you're always serving, they're always needing service. Exactly. And if you think that this isn't applying to you, I have two two types of people okay. that everybody at one point has probably felt susceptible to. Okay. Number one, the bad boy. I like have never felt susceptible about. to the bad no. boy. But Maybe I the second group. Play one on TV. The other one is the damsel in distress. Yes, those yeah. are hard. Those are hard because they're so needy. Yeah, so we're going to start with the bad okay, boy. Let's hear it. So why on earth would that be so appealing? That, that and you we know can the take people. This, I just want to point out, like this goes back in history. Yeah, yeah, like, that's what I was going to think. Yeah, I mean, say. if. In the 1800s, I mean, in Victorian literature, it was always like these dark, moody people. Mm. You think of Heathcliff or yes. Mr. Rochester, and they are like totally emotionally distraught, and they need help, and yeah. they need this angel woman to come to them, and they're kind of messed up. The great Gatsby. Yeah, yeah. him too. Definitely. Lots of bad Mr. boys. Mr. Darcy, we can yeah. go that far. We, we can yeah. keep going. Oh, definitely. So uh, The Bible. Let's just go there. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. But, yeah, so- Bad boy, kind of universal, mm-hmm. timeless appeal. So that but, would be a person who— But every bad boy has a hope of a good boy somewhere deep inside. Somewhere deep. And if a, if a wonderful, loving ex- woman could just exactly. crack the hard bad boy shell— Melt it off. Melt it. warm hug. Yeah. Her, her love yeah. will transform him. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Wow. So the bad boy is exciting. It's somebody mm-hmm. who is probably a little bit flighty, who has, you know, impulsive— mm. Who likes to do exciting things mm-hmm. with exciting people? Yeah. So that's one thing is that it's just that's it's attractive. That's Your hot. life will be less boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. wants a little bit of that. Right. Um, another one, they're very unique. Um, they're really masculine, a little more aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's also something that's genetically proven to be attractive to people. Is just you want you want I mean, a manly man. If you you're going a after a man, man yeah, you want definitely. him to be masculine and aggressive. Yeah. So they kind of have the Upper hand on that one. They By the way, did, you, did anybody notice the subtlety here? When we were talking about manly man, uh, Mike Pond in there just straightened his back a little bit and, <laughs> and crossed his arms and started to flex his chest a little bit. Anyway, oh, there it goes. Now he's back to just the same old <laughs> bent over um, crooked Mike. The last one is that the bad boy is mysterious. He mm. has lots of different things. So yeah. he's really confident. So we don't know. He's confident, but yeah. we don't know what he's, he's confident. Be- what is he about? And I better he's go independent. Figure it out. And he is really good at talking, yeah. but he also has this sort of mystery where you know something's off, mm-hmm. but you, and so you want to get into yeah. that mystery and find out what's not so perfect underneath the So, Interesting. definitely that so is So that is the, that, that is, is the, bad the, boy. the bad boy. Yeah, okay. and so this causes a lot of problems in a relationship. For one, eventually you need to grow up and be responsible and yeah. you can't just be so impulsive. Well, you almost want to eventually be the opposite of all of these things too. Exactly. So you want to eventually be predictable, a good boy, get results. Yeah. You want to be, be here kind for the long and gentle, term, less you know. reactive. Exactly. Yeah. So that's all things that for a long-term relationship are probably pretty bad. Hmm. So eventually you get into this relationship, you have to grow up while the boyfriend doesn't grow up. That Which isn't bad. bad for about the first couple of years. But then once you're supporting then his you're like, whoa, when's he yeah, going to get a job? Not great. Yeah. Um, when eventually it'll start feeling more menacing, his the aggress- aggressive side, yeah. it'll start feeling scarier and more emotionally destructive than it would interesting and exciting. That's right. And also, maybe there's just the fact that it's not just the bad boy, but just a bad guy. Just somebody who He's isn't totally bad. morally upstanding. Yeah. You know, just yeah. that's something you need but to But you've avoid. tied your entire life to him. Exactly. So he's the father of your children. Yeah. He's the breadwinner, supposedly. That, all bad. Um, so yeah, that's one thing. Wow. Just take 
one article, just one tip, just take a little bit longer. Make sure that you really, it's not just the whole idea of dating this yeah. bad boy. He's got a motorcycle. He's got a motorcycle. How exciting is that? He's got a leather jacket. Yeah. But it's yeah. a little more than that. Okay. So the other. The damsel in distress. The now, damsel this in seems distress. weird to me because there is, is there a bad girl version and is there a man, is there a dude in distress? A dude in distress. So the damsel in distress like kind of shows the woman is, is weak is the and the man is overly strong. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, the bad boy is. He needs okay. some sort of help deep yeah. down inside. He's broken, you know? deep, yeah. I mean, you can just see that there's like, it's very popular right now to have this super conflicted hero. That's mm-hmm. just, you know. So why is the damsel in distress so She's needy. She just, what is um, that? I guess it's because she needs me. Men just don't like to see women cry or be upset. That's yeah, we just walk away. Yeah, so you want to solve it. You want to yeah. fix it. Another thing. It feels good to be a hero. Oh, yeah. We're, I'm sure we're going to get more into this mm-hmm. today, but it just feels nice. If it's you can just, help somebody yeah. else, then you, that gives you that sense of power. That's cool. Another one, and this just, again, goes back to natural instincts. Guys want to protect people and things, and that's just a biological thing that's happened for a really long time. Well, so I get I tell people all the time, if you want a guy to, if you want to endear a guy to you, ask him for help. And yeah, he'll definitely. Be, he'll want to serve you, and he'll get closer to you. Yeah, and then there comes the admiration. Mm-hmm. So if a guy... Helps the damsel oh, in distress. My hero. That's yeah. the my hero syndrome. Yeah, definitely. So, um, and the last thing is that they, again, feel needed. There's that sense of feeling needed. The interesting thing is, though, um, so I feel like the bad boy, definitely in style. Um, and the damsel in distress has historically been in style, but it's... It's kind of not as in style anymore. Not, definitely not. And it also has gone well, even if pe- we wanted it to be in style, even as, as a guy, I wanted to have damsels in distress. There doesn't seem to be any damsels anymore. <laughs> no. In distress. Not really. Well, but see, here's an interesting one. In um, medieval times, there was kind of this history of really feisty, strong women. And if you go start reading about it, I mean, there's Eleanor oh, of really? Aquitaine, who basically led the country while King Richard was off on yeah. the crusades like really strong women so there have been points in yeah. history where the damsel in distress hasn't really been that was, like the idea was the damsel in distress ideal. always tied to the railroad tracks because isn't that the american <laughs> version yeah no i would think so yeah, yeah definitely yeah. Um, that was the invention of so the yeah railroad not tracks. as popular right now i read a press release about the new spider-man movie coming out that's exciting what um, it's coming out this summer. It's the new, you know, the yeah. new Spider-Man franchise. And um, an interviewer was, act, was asking Emma Stone whether or not Spider-Man has to save save Gwen very much yeah. in the next movie. And Emma Stone said, uh, no. Uh, are you kidding me? No, he doesn't do that. She says that um, she saves him more than he saves her. And she's incredibly helpful to Spider-Man. He's the muscle. She's the brains. So it's kind of interesting. That's the super popular franchise right now, but it's not the damsel in distress. It's see, this is crazy. Kind of a teamwork because this is what this is about. Though is it may not even matter how they present, huh? If they present what form of bad boy they are or damsel in distress, the real point may be more that we just want to be a white knight. It's true. So it's yeah. me, I don't care how broken you are, or because or, either way, I'll either keep you broken. Mm-hmm. In my mind, because I got to save you, or but maybe it's just more about we want to be special. Yeah, so maybe it's less the fact that there are bad boys, quote unquote, or damsels in distress, yeah. but it's more just that that's what we perceive as being attractive. Yeah. So we go and seek out yeah. people who can fill that oh, yeah. for us, or we like the feeling yeah. of you needing. Maybe what's interesting though is if any of us have listening have ever seen somebody that keeps going after the bad boy in almost a 
self-destructive way, yeah. that's a hard thing to watch. Like, oh, why definitely. do you keep choosing? Oh, it's awful. The worst person. And then they come to me after I've coached them. They say something like, I don't know what it is, but I'm just like a jerk magnet. And I just attract jerks. And I'm always in my head thinking, maybe you're not a magnet. Maybe you're like maybe. checking. Maybe yeah. you're looking for jerks. <laughs> maybe you're checking everyone's card because to see maybe if that they have the jerk card. Yeah. yeah, that's true. They need the bad boy. I know. I'm really interested in this topic. I'm it's excited cool to topic. see what we're going to get into today. And if anybody needs a good boy, non-bad, we have uh, Michael Pond here. One eight five five chat BYU, and we will hook you up on a date with Michael Pond. Call in, ladies. <laughs> that was like you just went right to it. <laughs> Do you, are you okay if we hook you up on a date? Yeah, sure. You know, well, what does that mean? That means yes, I'll do anything for good radio. <laughs> well, we want we want you to do something for a good life. No longer a bad boy. You'll get rid of the leather jacket, and you'll quit riding your ten speed. I don't know. That's that's hard, Matt. He's tall. He's dark. He's handsome. He rides a bike in the snowstorm. He's Michael Pond. He's got a killer smile. And Jess is sitting next to me. You married Jess? Uh, yeah, married. Did you marry a damsel in distress? <clears throat> no, bad boy. Did you marry a dude in Actually, distress when or you're a bad boy? Listing the bad boys, I was like, oh. Two years, okay. Did you no. marry a bad boy? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. I he's don't. A, he's. A, I mean, he's a great guy. He's gonna listen to this. But is he okay. kind of? Is no. he? Is he kind of edgy? Uh, yeah, and it's attractive, and it's like, That's oh, great. I got to get inside his head. Well, good luck with that. <sighs> Warms your heart. P.S. I want to say that Mike looks like Matt. So if you've seen Matt, it's basically the older so version of Mike. I know. Yeah, uh, uh, he really. No, he really is. He's he really is tall and dark. And handsome. Um, None of which I am. I'm short, squatty, and kind of mediocre. Uh, We're going to take a break. We're coming back. We're talking white knight syndrome. Do you have someone in your life that just keeps going after the broken one and thinks, you know, I don't know. I can fix it. I can fix him. Today's the show. We're going to help help you let that go. Give us a call. If you have a question about the white knight syndrome, if you have an example in your life, we'd love to hear it. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Anybody that gets on the show today, we'll give you a a free book of your choice. We'll give you a list of books you can choose from, and we'll have your question. Be giving it to Marilyn Krieger, who's going to walk us through the White Knight Syndrome. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about white night syndrome. Have you ever heard of that one? It's not when it's snowing at night. That's another kind of white night. It's about when you want to rescue somebody and you're chronically in the state of rescue. You may marry the person that you have to chronically go rescue and save, or you may have just brought them to this earth through this thing we call childbirth, and you are their parent. Our own Jessica Littlefield has uh, put together a little bit of a she, – she's, she's here with us today. But this is, her, this is her introduction. Are you ready? Parents, you can't live with them after high school anyway, and you can't live without them. Welcome to college. Now who's going to pay? Jessica, what do you mean by that? Who's going to pay? Mom or dad or the kid? Is that your story? Is that your question? Yeah. College is like when you kind of have to decide, okay, 
Are you gonna be like a total adult, or am I still gonna save you? But can Cause... I? I can white knight my kids all through college. Yeah. I could oh, just yeah. keep paying for them, enabling them, paying for all their parking tickets, pay for every late fee. You're one rich man. Goodness, <laughs> that's all I have to so say. So you're saying we shouldn't do that? Um, I mean, duh. Come you know, on. I'm not. You hate the little journalist in me is not gonna. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say you should or shouldn't do anything. Okay. But I'm going to say, what is everybody doing? <laughs> what? So you've got data on what we are yeah, doing. Okay, this let's is what is news. happening. Yep. Um, number one, fewer parents are paying for college, but it's still a majority are. So 60% the parents, parents are still pay paying. College. But our hope is if they go to college, they will get out of my house. Ding, ding, ding. Optimism. Oh, Have that. Yeah. Nailed but, it. This, but not necessarily okay, real. First of all, this is a... A report done by Sally May, How America Pays for College. Which, by the way, which is they're the ones that fund most of the student loans, right? Oh, the... Sally May funds yeah. student loans. Yeah. So this may... So they know the best. data. Here's the data. Give us some data. So um, more... they Yeah. So there's optimism. They 85% think it's an investment. Okay. And, and it is, if it works, I guess. Yeah. And it can be done in five years. Yeah, is that not true? Ninety-seven percent, basically everybody. Yeah, which I mean, most of the time I don't know if it does. I was gonna look that up. Yeah, it seems like I don't that, think it does. It, it probably takes a little longer than that. Yeah, because they change their major so many times. Uh-huh. And I kind of I will make the argument that if someone else is paying for your college, it's harder to like, yeah, you know, take your time. You yeah, know? if you have to write Go the discover check, yourself. if you have to do this the work, you'd probably you wouldn't dilly dally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like for me, mm-hmm. I was going to change my major until I realized that's another, you know. It's another so many thousands of dollars. Yeah. yeah. So but then so I was if like, we, okay, if, I'm sticking to what I have. So you're basically suggesting, hey, parents, okay, be real, but get your kids learning on their own. Maybe letting them pay for some things would be less enabling. Yeah. Well, um, I just think that that students – we we kind of mentioned we had a conversation yesterday about this and um, a lot of it I think you touched on a good point when you said it gives them a good it gives them confidence when they can pay for themselves yeah like it if you if your parents are paying for everything it's harder for you to have that confidence going into the workforce yeah. when they're like so how did you pay for college and oh yeah oh, how did you do that or just even simple decisions because a lot of times. Some of us as parents, we coddle our kids so much, they never have to make a decision. We've already kind of laid it out for them. Yeah. We've told them everything they need to do. Well, and I thought about it for a while, um, just about the whole parent as a white knight. And growing up, you've always been encouraged to help them. You've been actually required, you know, for the first half. And then when they go off to school and they're, you know, children, you don't have to. But they're like, please get involved in your kid's school because it's going to help them more. They call this the hovering parent, the helicopter parent. But it's interesting, and it might, and we'll get into this with our guest coming up in a bit with Dr. Marilyn Krieger. Maybe, too, there's something paralleling between the parent that needs to do this and then maybe when we go out, we see that I guess that's how you love somebody is you just control them. You make every decision. You (laughs) Make it easy on them. Yeah. 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 You just don't want to see them, you know, eat ramen noodles for every meal. Oh, but it's so great. (laughs) It's such a great meal. It is good. So um, a part of paying with college, um, they broke it down on how parents are paying for their college. Oh, how are they paying? And um, so they pay for 60% and 52% of it. So most of it is coming from their current income. Oh, it's just, not. Oh, wow. It's not saving. Some of them, 
um, pull from their retirement. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I've seen that. 7% do that, which isn't a lot, but I mean... <laughs> but you're giving up your retirement for this dream for this child. Yeah. Which, again, wouldn't be bad if they were learning the principles to be independent. Some of this, it may not be bad to help somebody if they're truly independent and if it's not hurting you. Well, and I guess maybe I should have... I just wanted to present the facts. This is how this is how they're paying it because I don't want to say that it's bad to right. pay for your kids' school. No, it's not. I mean, but it, it, honestly, you've seen in your life that there's a lot of kids that take advantage of their parents paying for everything. Right, as a college and you've student, seen I have it as a student. It. So, yeah. you know, it might be smart for parents out there to think maybe I'm just enabling these kids too much. Maybe there's a time where I ought to turn it over and say. Let's start earning some of this, kids. Yeah. Well, and I feel, I feel like that's going to be a hard – that's a hard point for parents. And they, the kid is going to ride it as long as the train oh, is sure. going, you know? Yeah. So at that's some point true. you have to stop and be like, okay, yeah. this is your exit. Yeah. Go fly, bird. Well, and I think you're not even – yeah, I, you're not even trying to say it's the pa- parents, but we could be. I mean parents enable. And that's pretty much the whole show today is if you're not careful, you might get sucked in – to creating somebody that constantly needs you, or our guests later will be talking more about our intimate relationships, I think, more about finding the sick person always that we have to keep taking care of, and then we never have a free day. We never have a free life. Uh, Good job, Jess. And again, you didn't marry, uh, you're not white knighting your husband. He's the white knight, maybe. I feel like it's a good relationship for both of you to do it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But also, I just kind of thought of this just now. Um, I feel like if you're this is just for the sake of the argument. I am not saying either way. But if if your parents are kind of teaching you this kind of lifestyle of I'm going to pay for all of everything. Yeah. That's going to be your future husband or your future wife. You know, you're not careful. You're going to fall into the trap of needing someone to pay for you. It's easy to say, you know, that's true. I believe that. Anyways, So good work, Jess. You did it again. Just just talking about my life. That's good. <laughs> Bringing you. your life to life. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Dr. Marilyn Krieger join us. She is a co-author of the book, The White Knight Syndrome, Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. Are you somebody that feels a constant need to rescue? Are you constantly noticing that you have a lot of people around you that need help? You know, maybe it's because you're a white knight and you attract people that need help. We'll come back, get into that subject. If you have any questions, any ideas, thoughts about that, we'd love to have you on the show as well. Give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. You can ask our guest any question you'd like, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we've got an awesome topic uh, about your relationships. And this, I think, we'll get into this. I think it could be any type of relationship, really. But do you find yourself attracted to people who are helpless, vulnerable, or damaged? 
or feel like you always end up taking care of your romantic partners? Because if you do, you are probably what we call a white knight person. And we've got the author of the book of White Knight Syndrome on the phone with us right now. Her name is uh, Dr. Marilyn Krieger. Dr. Krieger is a clinical psychologist currently in private practice. She previously was a faculty member uh, in the psychiatry department at the University of California, San Francisco Medical School. She's also was a previously uh, worked as a consultant for Macaulay Neuropsychiatric Institute. She um, she seems to have done it all. She's also an award-winning playwright who has had several plays produced for stage and radio. And she's co-authored the book, The White Knight Syndrome, Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. Dr. Marilyn Krieger, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. We, we have needed this subject or this topic. Uh, we've needed a pro on here for years because <laughs> it seems like this is a pretty common thing, isn't this? This chasing maybe the bad boy a little bit or always having to be around people that you need to fix. Absolutely. And, you know, it's beca- and I, was, uh, I just caught the end of your discussion with Jeff, and I thought you guys were right on. Um, my co-author, Mary Lamia, and I, uh, we've each been practicing for well over 30 years. Huh. And we had found that we were working with people, a fair number of people, who seemed to repeatedly seek out rescuing relationships. And they were often uh, unaware that they were doing this, but at the same time, they couldn't quite figure out why these relationships didn't have a storybook ending. Yeah, like, yeah, it's interesting. They didn't know that they were always chasing dysfunctional, and then they were did did they? But then they were still surprised. Like, man, these never seem to work. Well, because they thought they could fix them. Yeah. Why? Why? Why do we do that? Like. Well, I mean, you tell me, it, I, and that's what you call the white knight syndrome, is that idea that you can fix people. Well, we call it, and that's part of it, we call it, we call white knights, men or women, who repeatedly seek out partners who are vulnerable and need some form of rescuing. Hmm. So that it's the compulsion to rescue uh, repeatedly and often without awareness, although some did have an awareness, is the basic condition of or for being a white knight. Huh. Is that why do we do that? Why would a human being want to always be rescuing? I mean I, I mean I guess it conceptually that means I'm needed, but it seems like I would rather choose someone around me that takes me to a higher level. Well, good Matt, you're not a white knight. Okay. <laughs> 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 but it, that's a great question as to why would someone do this because it's such a a, a dysfunctional dynamic. If you are in a relationship that is always going to be where one pe- person is the strong one and one person is the weak one, that doesn't really allow growth for anybody no. and is going to eventually fail. So let me tell you a little bit about what Mary and I did. Yeah. So uh, between all of our cases, and then we started talking to our colleagues and we put together over about over 100 cases. Oh, really? And started just going through and what are the themes and what's going on. Uh, and we came up with um, different categories, and we can get into those mm-hmm. in, in a minute or two. But basically what we saw was that um, it was a lot of guilt. These people felt a lot of guilt in their life, a lot of shame a lot of fear of being abandoned. Okay. 
um, were like major uh, issues that uh, the people that we were calling white knights hmm. had in their life. So it's interesting. So if they're if they're if they have a lot of guilt, I guess because of past relationships or fear of being abandoned. I guess, is, does it give them more control to to have somebody that probably would never be able to abandon them? Well, yes, but let's let's back up a little bit, because uh, you're right, they can feel guilt about past relationships and things like that, but it's not necessarily even a past intimate relationship. What we saw was often people who, in one category, for example, well, again, we'll get into it later, yeah. they... Um, they had had, as a child, a very intense empathy for one of their parents or for a caregiver. Oh. So they had this uh, empathic relation, uh, response to a caregiver's pain or unhappiness. Hmm. Um, so that, and of course, a child can't fix that. Right. But there can be a lot of guilt around being unable to fix it. Yeah. There can be a lot of shame around being unable to fix it. Hmm. And there can also be a terrible sense, and I know you, I'm sure you've talked about this on your program, about how children feel responsible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's an important thought, right? I mean, if, if, if you're suffering from something that... Uh, maybe an illness or a sickness or other issues, you could very easily be creating some shame, some guilt, some pain for your child. Uh, you could. I mean, you unintentionally. Could. Completely unintentional. Yeah, and but completely. then all of a sudden they be, they but they become highly empathic to your pain. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. So that's that's like one aspect. Yeah. That might be. Uh, give rise to the white knight syndrome later in life. Um, there could be a sense of, I, I mentioned abandonment, you know, and, and this abandonment can be something as uh, uh, traumatic as a death. Yeah. But it can also be a divorce. It can be the trauma of shuffling between two households mm -hmm. in a divorce situation. Um. It can be the abandonment that we inadvertently do as parents when we are preoccupied with something else. Maybe it's not we're there for our kids, but our mother or you know the kids' grandparents right. are very sick or we're requiring a lot of our time, and yeah. it's, it's just stressing us out. Isn't that... It, the, the, these are just real-life situations. Every one of these could easily be in someone's family life at any time. Right, and I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to scare your listeners no. or make them think that. Oh my goodness, I am traumatizing my right. child by this. But just to be aware of it. Yeah. Well, and, and then too, they, but they also are, like you said. Um, I don't know what word you use, but deeply empathic to the pain of others. Yes. Which would, I guess, which would help them. I mean, they would read into everything. You know, people have asked us in the past. Um, are white knights, by their very nature, more empathic? Hmm. And it's were they born this way? Did right. they just develop it? Yeah, how did how they get there? Be? And you know, obviously, we can't we can't answer that. But um, there certainly is, if you look at some of the literature, and I I'm I won't go into that today. But there is some 
research that suggests that empathy is, in part at least, wired in. Okay, yeah. So that if you damage a certain part of the brain, people will be more or less empathic right. depending upon the part you damage. At the same time, I think different child rearing, child disciplining techniques mm-hmm. yeah. encourage or discourage empathy. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 a it's a complicated situation. And yet, what I like about how you kind of handle it or treat it is you make it a little easier for us. You even break those rescuers into four different kinds, right? Four different right. types. How, how, how do they break out? Okay, so they and, – and we can go back to, you, to the why. Yeah. Why does somebody do this? Um, is sort of attached to the kind of rescuer they are, okay. what the issues are. So the most – I think I mentioned we – how I got how we got these? We looked at these case studies, and um, so the the most predominant type of rescuer we saw we called the overly empathic white knight. Hmm. Now, obviously, there could be a sampling error here, yeah, and, because these are people who are coming to therapy primarily in Marin County in California, which <laughs> you know is a, a fairly well healed right community. Yeah, but. I think it does go across. And the reason I say that is the overly empathic subtype is the person who has a tendency to blame herself uh, for pretty much everything. And that blame is often what drives her to come to therapy. Um, She often comes because she is unhappy and feels stuck in her uh, romantic relationship, but feels too guilty to leave. Right. So... And we see that she is driven by her conscious, con, her, sorry, her conscience and her guilt. So, so she 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 gets closer because they're hurting, and she stays longer because she doesn't want to hurt them. Exactly. She would rather feel the pain of being in this dreadful relationship mm-hmm. than feel the pain of how. And I'm I'm calling it a her. It doesn't have right. to be a her. Feel the pain of. Literally, as trite as the sound, feel his pain yeah. when she leaves him. Isn't that interesting? Even if it's not best for her or her psyche, even she doesn't want the other to feel pain. Exactly. She just she feels so guilty, mm-hmm. so guilty. Somehow, having this uh, this guy in the case we're using right. um, that. He'll fall apart without her. And sometimes yeah. he does. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Because, yeah, she's done everything. She's right. kind of kept him going. Sometimes he does. Yeah. Although sometimes he will pull himself back together or he will find yet another mm. white knight to rescue him. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Pass him uh, around. <laughs> Here's another one. So so one is the overly empathic one, the, the I guess the, the strong feeler. What's, what's another kind? Another kind we call the tarnished white knight. Hmm. And this is, we don't see him as often as we see the overly empathic, at least in the group that we looked at. Mm -hmm. And this is a white knight who rescues to heal his own sense of inadequacy and shame. Oh. And shame, you know, as opposed to guilt. Yeah. Shame is about not living up to your ideals. Yeah, like, like, so this is kind of the fallen knight 
that then helps all the other fallen knights in order to regain his knighthood. Hmm. Uh, I never thought of it like that, but sure, that could work. Well, that's how convoluted I am. No, no, it's, it's good. I like it. But see, they're trying to make amends, I guess, for their lack of, for their shame. They are trying to make amends, and they are also trying to cover it. Mm. And uh, they can be a little more difficult to deal with because he uses his rescuing to minimize his own weakness, yeah. his sense of weakness. And he uses his empathy. You know, empathy is a great thing, but it can be used, and this is a scary thing to think about, Yeah. but con men do it all the time. It can be used to manipulate. Sure. Ooh. Yeah. She's a dark knight. <laughs> well, you know, all of... Right. Yeah. All, he, he, he or she. Right. This is a... Is this a is a dark... Yeah. He's gone to the dark side. Yeah. Oh, that's um, interesting. So this white knight, if he comes to therapy, um, he comes because he generally feels empty or depressed, but more often it's because he's wanting to fix a partner that he feels isn't appreciating all that he has been doing for her. Or when the partner is threatening to leave the relationship. And we had one or two who came in because their child needed help. Um, But these guys, you know, for these guys, the tarnished, it's really about shame and covering up shame. And and the other thing that they do is they can, they give their, they give the shame away in a way that I'm. They, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> they are able to make the partners feel the shame oh. that they themselves... Yeah, they, like, transfer it over to them, huh? Right, by how they treat her or uh. by making deprecatory remarks or setting impossible standards for her to reach. Right. Wow. Um, well, let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Marilyn Krieger, uh, co-author of the book The White Knight Syndrome, Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. We've only gotten through two of the different kinds of rescuers. So you out there in listener land, are you noticing? Do you see that? So don't just assume these people are weak. These are people that have very real reasons for trying to rescue these people. Some are overly empathic. Some are trying to, you know, I guess pass the buck that that tarnished them. Some of the guilt, some of the shame that they may have had. We're going to take a break. We'll be back more with Dr. Marilyn Krieger right after this break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about the white knight syndrome, that tendency to be a chronic rescuer where you're constantly, you're chronically in search and I guess in rescue of all of the people around you. And you tend to find those people, maybe draw those people out. We're talking to the author, one of the co-authors of the book, uh, The White Knight Syndrome, Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. And uh, her name, Dr. Marilyn Krieger. She's a clinical psychologist currently in private practice. She's also been a faculty member in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco Medical School. She's also been a clinical consultant for the San Francisco Child and Adolescent Sexual Abuse Resource Center. She's an award-winning playwright who's had several plays produced for stage and radio. And again, the author of the book, The White Knight Syndrome. Welcome back, Dr. Krieger. 
Hi. Good to have you again. So you were going through the four different types or uh, kinds of white knight rescuers we have. One is the yeah. overly empathic. Right. Well, there was the o- overly empathic. There was the who is motivated by guilt. The tarnished, who's motivated to cover up his shame yeah. some, or sense of inadequacy. And just before we go forward, we are not saying that these people are out in some kind of awful predatory way. No. To, yeah, they're not no, evil, but, I mean, right? I, they're not no, out. They're, and that's why we tried to do this, which was to find a way to help them see this without feeling shame. That's great. The third category we don't see very often in therapy at all. We called him the terrorizing, terrified white knight. <laughs> and this is someone who is working very hard to keep her vulnerability, her weakness hidden. But her, her world is so chaotic, her internal world. And her reactions to shame are so much more, and weakness are, are so much more intense. Um, you've probably read about people like this in, in the paper who, uh, on one hand, they seem like the ideal partner, and then it turns out there's a lot of abuse going on. Oh, yeah. Or uh, even just verbal abuse going on. So it's... Um, they're, they're living a very dual life, real time. Real time, they are. And, and it has to do with anything that has the whiff of revealing their weaknesses or that they will be abandoned. Huh. It's a big reaction from them. Okay. Um, they don't want to be exposed. And, they and don't want to be exposed. Our fourth, huge. and I'm going to zip through yeah. this, our fourth type is actually, um, may well be Jeff, who is what, who we call the balanced rescuer. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you were saying before we started talking, um, supporting, helping, nurturing your partner is the hallmark of a good relationship. Right. And so there are, we want to help and rescue the partner, but it has to be done in a way, and I think these were your words, that encourages, oh, you were talking about the kids, but that encourages growth versus dependence. So that's the sign, I guess. It's not if you're rescuing and helping, it's just, am I setting them up to be able to do this on their own, their independence and stronger, or am I making them more beholden to me, more needy for me? Yes, you could could certainly look at that that way. That's healthier, yeah. something I can help them with, Mm -hmm. I mean. Can I help my partner with his drug addiction? That's going to be a real tough one. Right. Um, That's but a, a, a but, lot of women, like an overly empathic white knight, might be quite drawn to someone in yeah. that condition. Well, I can, you know, I'll structure his life. I'll do X, Y, and Z for him, and then he'll love me forever. Well, and it seems like it's it's got to be really complicated because if if I'm married to somebody and we have four children, I can't just get rid of you. And so to what degree am I, do I become kind of an enabling rescuer? And what degree am I eventually just trying to be balanced? I mean, it's kind of a fine line, isn't it? It is. And that's a tough one. I mean, if, if you marry someone who at that point and, and 20 years later somehow develops a, a drug problem related to maybe a back injury yeah. or something like that, um, no, you don't just pick up and, and leave. You just have to be careful that what you are doing is encouraging her growth. Encourage, rather than continuing to supply her with drugs, you right. look at helping her research other alternatives, other medical treatments, you know, right. maintaining a proactive position rather than uh, being her supplier. I, I love it. And I, I think the way you've delineated it, it seems 
it you can almost see the levels of of uh, sickness or mental um you know me- mental issues or mental health issues starting to impact you can see how some of these we would they'd almost become obsessive and some would be more um just situational based on the fear of losing a partner or or whatever and you know what's interesting just in this, as an aside we i i just delineated these four categories but we did have a, a, a fifth one we do which we called the temporary white knight oh. and this is someone who has been maintaining a good life a good relationship has been in good healthy relationships but because of some unusual external external stressors um maybe a parent died uh, combined with losing a job or you know some injury finds herself feeling that she needs more control in her world, gets involved with somebody who is quite needy, and then is kind of stuck. Oh, my goodness, what am I doing here? How do I get out? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's, so uh, we call them the temporaries. But. It's it, and that's just kind of – that'll come and go. It's, they'll eventually find a space of strength and, and find themselves. Right. And pull out. Because, again, being a white knight is repeatedly finding partners who need rescuing. Mm. It's it's interesting how many times you brought up guilt, shame, and fear. Right. Those are the drivers, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and that's such a – it's just pervasive. It's like – it's such a major part of our mental – our feeling mentally healthy – is knowing we're safe with another person, knowing we're whole and healthy. I mean, it's a it, you know it can it, it can never end. I I can I can have that fear the rest of my life, which means I'm not going to be able to ever bring a partner in to fill that need. It, the, the problem is never the person I'm bringing in; it's me, isn't it? That's right. That's right. It's and and these are very often sen- a sense of guilt, shame, fear of abandonment. Uh, Bad, low, very low self-esteem, which actually I know gets used a lot in yeah. psychology, but there actually is a benefit to that word. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are all individual issues that we that white knights try to address or heal through their relationships, hmm. and that's not going to work. You're no. you're right on the money, Matt. You have to look within oneself to really overcome these these feelings. You can't look to the partner to do it. They might be able to temporarily, they will adore you temporarily. Uh huh. Uh, and that can feel good. Yeah. But it, it just, and I guess that'll be the sign is the, the, you said the repetition of this, the repeatedly choosing partners that need this coddling or need the, the, the control, I don't know. The control, I don't know. They need someone to step in and rescue them. Yeah, rescue. Whether it's, you know, somebody who is unable to manage her money. Yep. So she, and and so she somehow manages to find a guy who's really on top of money. And that makes him feel good, and she just uh, adores him for it um, and relies on him. And at first, everything is great. They sit down with Quicken, and they... Yeah. (laughs) And they go over everything. Hammer it all out, right. And then she starts to feel controlled. Yep. Get off my back. Get off my back. So I want a new pair of pantyhose. Leave me alone. Yep. Um, and, and, or we had the case of someone who helped his wife through a depression, and once she started to be more alive and, and perky. Healthy, and, vigorous, yeah. 
Right, and sometimes even people really wanted to talk to her. He started to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, it's complicated. Yeah. He became shallow. Yeah, and he shuts off. Yeah. Um, we're talking with uh, our great guest, Dr. Marilyn Krieger, the author of the book, The White Knight Syndrome, Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. I think we've laid out the problem, the opportunity maybe, uh, with the White Knight Syndrome. When we come back, we're going to ask Dr. Krieger to give us some some tools of how we can heal or at least begin the healing uh, if, if we're into the White Knight Syndrome. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with some more solutions, tools to help you... Uh, you know, quit having to rescue everybody. This is Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about white knight syndrome. Do you have a white knight syndrome where you are constantly picking, choosing, finding the partner that needs help, that needs to be fixed, the one that's broken? Do you seem to keep picking those people? I had a a client once that was so mad. She's like, what is it? Why do I just attract all of these broken people that I have to fix? And then I thought to myself, maybe you're not attracting them. Maybe you're actually looking for them. Maybe that's what you're searching for. And it's not an attraction. It's That's what you're out after. We brought the expert, the guru on this topic. I'm sure she won't want to be called gurus. Most don't. Uh, Dr. Marilyn Krieger is joining us. She's a clinical psychologist currently in private practice, co-author of the book, The White Knight Syndrome, Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. She's uh, she's been practicing um, uh, psychology in, in a private practice. She also has been a faculty member in the psychiatry department of the University of California, San Francisco Medical School. Dr. Marilyn Krieger, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, happy to be here. And you know that client you were just talking yeah. about, Matt? You know, wh- another way of looking at what's going on, because I had someone say something very similar. Yeah, what did me. you say? Well, I asked her to tell me about She had just come back from a party where she said there were always all these good-looking, great guys, and somehow the only guy who she ended up with was this not-so-attractive person in personality. And yeah. Everything. So she talked about how she had been watching this guy, we'll call him Larry, go from one woman to the other to the other, um, and all these other women were kind of blowing him off. Right. And he came to her while she was talking to this guy she was interested in, and Larry starts talking, and she's, and the nice guy kind of left, and she didn't understand why he left and how she ended up you know, with Larry's name and number. <laughs> and it was very clear, once we talked in more detail, that she had felt too guilty and oh. felt so bad for, the, for Larry that she hadn't rebuffed him like the other women had. Yeah. And the nice guy thought that she was interested in Larry. That we left. Oh, and what's interesting is so maybe in a weird way, it kind of is an attraction thing, because if you show someone that that needs a lot of attention and help, if you show them a lot of attention and help that you seem attractive, if, if you're so empathic that you give them all that time and attention, it might seem like you are attracted. 
Well, and you know what? I think you are attracted to them at some hmm. at some level. level because you see them as a way to heal yourself. Mm. Yeah. So how, and- how do we fix this? How do we start to deal with this? I mean, it seems like for sure we'd want to go get uh, some mental health advice and a professional helping us on this a bit. But well, what can we just do in the meantime? Other than buy my book? Buy the book for sure. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Because we have a whole chapter on that. Okay. Um, I, I think some of the first thing has to do with um, gaining, we call it gaining self-perspective, so that you can stop having your partner be an extension of yourself, hmm. to really see the two of you as separate, and so that your partner's behavior um, is different than your behavior. Gaining self-perspective, though, requires that you observe and evaluate who you are in your relationship hmm. and discover what you actually need or seek for yourself. That's powerful. Yeah, but people can't have a lot of trouble doing that. So one way to gain self-perspective, you have to get out of the situation. We call that letting go. Hmm. And it and it involves giving up your hope, and that is so hard for people to do. Yeah, no, and I actually I, I've seen that happen with people where they, if they could just be realistic about the situation, because part of it is give they have hope in something that's not they're not basing their hope in realism. That's right, and but if you give up hope, then you have to face those very fears and feelings that got you into the relationship mm. in the first place. That's great. So that's that's a hard thing to do. And another aspect of it is you have to cope with the after effects yeah. of the loss of this relationship. And these relationships are often very dramatic. Yeah. Um, lots. It's an emotional roller coaster, which, in some ways, can get uh, affects levels of dopamine and serotonin in your brain. Yeah. So, so you're feeling you can, chemically charged because I mean it creates a, it, it's something. It's like hate is more valuable than indifference. I mean, it's something. It's an emotion. <laughs> it's it's an emotion, but there's actual brain chemistry change, hmm. and so you can be like an addict withdrawing from a stimulant. Okay, yeah. So there's a lot of intensity. So uh, again, seeking a therapist um, um, could be very uh, very useful in that. Um, which, which, by the way, like getting the space and breaking up. And then having a major blow up in order to break up and then having to go through the withdrawal. It seems like all of that would give you perspective (laughs) once you've sat back and done it. Let me jump to something then. If you will take responsibility for yourself. If you'll own it instead of blaming that messed up Yahoo that messed your life up. And and that is part of optimizing your self-esteem. That's great. Okay. So on one hand, you have to, we call it reclaiming your projections. It's not really her. It is... You, yeah, she was this, that, and the other. But wait a minute, what what were you doing? Hmm. Um, you have to look at yourself honestly. So, if we think about this in some ways as seeking out a white knight relationship to uh, to enhance your self esteem, then what can you do to within yourself as opposed to getting into one of these? Yeah, how can you feel better just about yourself instead of being right. instead of being a rescuer to gain your identity? How can you just appreciate and see growth and development and health in yourself. So one of the things we talk about is increasing your sense of agency, which, as you know, means your ability to take action, be effective, influence your own life. And we give people um, all sorts of possibilities 
for that. Um, if uh, community involvement, for example, uh, um, if there are qualities that you wish you had that you don't, we have people read biographies hmm. of people that they admire. Yeah, so kind of go find a parallel personality. Right. You or... may not be able to find it in your parents, right? Hmm. but there are people out there who have it. And how do they do it? That's how great. Did, how, how did that happen? So I had somebody who uh, was reading biographies about Lincoln. Yeah. Um, that he found really important. I think one of the most important things, though, is to finding a way to take responsibility for your life. And that can be even just starting out learning how to genuinely apologize. Hmm. So many people, especially our terrorizing terrorized and our tarnished white knight, have so much trouble apologizing. The overly empathic, she probably apologizes for everything. Too much, right. Too much. So none of it's real. It's kind of everything. Right. But a lot of, we've had people say, well, if I apologize for this, I'll lose stature. Yeah. I will look weak. So they give these apologies that are really pseudo-apologies. Right. I'm sorry you took it wrong. Exactly. Or I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, but you, whatever. Yeah, nothing, nothing about me. I'm sorry that I don't pay enough attention this way. Right. So, and, and I think it's a, it's a mini step, but if a person can see that if they apologize, they take responsibility, and they actually do change their behavior in the future, that it is actually demonstrating a position of strength hmm, as exactly. opposed to weakness. So it's, um, it's, it's a way in a mini way to, to say, oh, what do you know? I could do that. Yeah, you're not afraid of it anymore. You're willing to change. You're willing to grow. Your confidence doesn't come from seemingly being perfect. It comes from your ability to change and grow. Exactly, and, and being able to accept responsibility for yourself and your mistakes. What is that it's for metaphor? It's not the fumble, it's the recovery. Yeah, right. And, and I think that can, uh, a lot of people can find that. I love really, that. really helpful. Rather than just storming off the next time you have a fight, say, oops, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that was wrong of me. I'll try to make sure I don't do that in the future. Well, and those are all self-esteem-ish growing things anyway. I mean, th- these are all great tips to help anybody that um, might feel like they're stuck or in a relationship of codependence or anything like that. That's true. That's true. I do think that the um, that in terms of the white knight thing, the uh, coping with the after effects and letting go of misguided hope and reclaiming your projections those those are really those are very focused on the white knights. Yeah. These others, though, are the self esteem, and as you say, that that's true of um, so many people for a wide range of issues. It's. Um... But it, there, there is there is hope, is what I'm hearing you say. You can, you don't have to spend the rest of your life chasing the sick and afflicted. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And once you stop, life becomes such a joy. Yeah. I mean, you're no longer trying to work out old issues in your relationship, but you've worked on yourself, and now you can have a... A relationship that uh, supports and encourages growth for both parties. That's 
What, and, what a freeing that's moment. that's really what it's about. Right, exactly. And, and then you can really take your relationship. So instead of about healing and mending, it's almost about you're now in a new state of relating, which is about creation and, and imagination and excitement and possibility. Exactly. It's not just exactly. stuck in the past. And yet you can still be helpful, just like Jess was talking right, about. Right, right. You know, that's great. That's great. That's um, cool. It's just that you don't chronically seek out people with these big problems that end up weighing both of you down that you can't possibly fix. So the the best sign then, Marilyn, that somebody is the white knight, they're chronically finding, seeking out, and engaging in relationships, especially it sounds like more intimate relationships, people that need help. Right. They are repeatedly getting into relationships with needy, depressed, uh, struggle, really struggling people. And their family must be looking at them sometimes thinking, oh, man, really? Exactly. This but is again, your new man? Oh. What's is, this one's problem? Is there a way that I can help a white knight? So if I see one in my family, if I recognize one around me somewhere, what, what's the best role I could take just as a peer, a family member? Friend, oh, that's a tough one um, because and unless they can they can see what they're doing, it's going to be such an uphill battle, and they could be insulted. Yeah, right. You don't want to. Yeah, and really make make uh, and and then you cut it off. That they will cut off yeah. the relationship and cut off the discussion. So you got to be very very careful if they can come to you and say, "Oh, Matt, I don't know what my problem is." You know, once yeah. again, I'm with a woman who blah, blah, blah. Right. Then. Uh, Can I offer you some feedback? <laughs> yeah. Then we, then they might be. So you're saying if they're open to it, we might be able to kind of get in there. But you can't. You're, yeah, you can't. You can't force them and to drink. Sometimes in the midst of a, a breakup, they may be more open to it. Um, but sometimes we re- we reject these people, Marilyn. Like it might be exhausting for the people around a white night. To have to keep supporting the white knight, to have to keep going to dinner with the next problem guy. And it's <laughs> right. like, I, you know what? At some point, we know this one's not going to stick. So, I, I mean, it, it really can become draining. Maybe that's a sign that you are in a white knight syndrome if a lot of people, if you see a lot of people go through your life that aren't quite what they need to be. And if your your closest friends don't want to be around you with some of that. I think that's that's a good indication if you will buy it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you've got to buy it. They huh? will, but they'll say what they will say is, I don't know. I had some guy in my practice once. He he literally would take his hand and put it over his heart, and he'd say, "When she reads her poetry, it is just such." He'd go, "Ugh." You're like, he would, he "Come would on, really do that." Yeah, you want to shake him. Come on. Um, it real and, and part of it is because our minds don't want to deal with what the real problem is. Me, exactly. I don't want to deal with my real insecurities, inadequacies, guilts. I don't want to go there. Right. So instead I keep convoluting. I'm going to focus on them. I'm going to feel big and, and, and admired because I have um, whipped this person into shape. Right. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. You know, that's cool. going to work for a while, but there's always going to be the next and the next. Yep. And as I said before, once sometimes when I've seen the White Knights actually succeed um, in helping this their partner, whatever, mm-hmm. 
then the power dynamic, the relationship oh, then it dynamic changes. Yeah. has been changed, and they're not quite so happy anymore. Isn't that yeah? Th- then it's then it's a whole different. It's it's almost like the whole force has changed. That's Good right. to evil. It, red. I mean, white hat, black hat. It all switches. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, uh, Dr. Marilyn Krieger, author of the book The White Knight Syndrome: Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. Marilyn, where can they find the book? Any retail bookstore? A retail bookstore. We're on Amazon. It's also available as a download on Amazon. Mm. Great so stuff. You can just download it. It's awesome. Changing lives. Uh, so appreciate it, Marilyn. Really, it was a lot of fun. Great insight. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. We'll have you back. I'm sure we'll be back on this topic again. Okay. Thank you, Marilyn. Be well, Matt. You too. Take care. Dr. Marilyn Krieger, go check out that book. I mean, really, if you're seeing it in your life, it doesn't go away by pretending it's not there. The White Knight Syndrome. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. And when we come back, we're going to get into chivalry. Is chivalry dead? Chivalry versus the White Knight. Uh, Great topic coming up. I think Mike Pond's going to help us with that. Nobody knows chivalry better than Mike Pond. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about... uh, you know, the white knight syndrome where we want to rescue people. We're always rescuing people. We thought it'd be an interesting discussion if we could bring Mike Pond in to talk about chivalry. Uh, and some of you don't know this, but Mike Pond was a decathlete, uh, which is 10 athletic events yes, at BYU. Sir. And uh, so if anyone knows about chivalry, it's Mike Pond because he used to throw a discus. And a javelin. That's true. Until tell them about the accident when you speared that one person. Well, I uh, I've been banned from the league uh-huh. for 110 years for yeah. spearing. Well, let's not talk about that. But on the radio. you were yeah. chivalrous. You went over and right. offered your hat. Here's my hat. Here's my coat. Can I get you some water I'm while sorry. you're waiting for the emergency unit? Yeah. Uh, talk about chivalry. Is it dead? So chivalry is is kind of first of, of all dead. define yeah. chivalry because some out there are thinking, what's he talking about? All right. Chivalry comes from a strict social code in France in the medieval times. How knights should approach battle. It was all about respect, Mm. honor, courtly love, courtesy, and how you should be a good soldier and a good— Chivalry. Yeah, good person. That's cool. Is it dead? Well, I mean, in that kind of form, it's it's morphed a lot. It's not like it was. Uh, But— it, back in, in the early 1900s, there was a movement to kind of bring those ideas back, and they called it gallantry okay. rather than, than chivalry. Gallantry, that is – yeah, that's a term I've heard more. Yeah. I used to read a book uh, called Goofus and Gallant. What was that about? That sounds ridiculous. It wasn't a book. It was, an, it was, a, it was in Scouts, and there was Goof – I think it was Scouts. But Goofus was the, just the jerk that's really mean, and Gallant was the, the, the person that uh, – How clever. That was very – put together and serve it. Anyway, gallantry, is it dead? Well, you know, there's a there's a movement to kind of keep it alive, but uh, the gender lines in this modern age have kind of become increasingly blurred and and uh, it's it's hard. It's hard to yeah. be a, a to to promote gallantry and be 
a wonderfully respectful man, I guess you're saying, when sometimes the ladies don't need it. You don't need to open my door. Get off my back. Exactly. And when when you go online... Uh, you you search how to be a gentleman, how to have gallantry, and they give you a bunch of silly tips. Like know? what? Open doors, mm-hmm. um, offer up your seat, uh, pull out chairs, help help uh, a woman take off her coat, put it on. Uh, and it's funny. I was talking to one of our news producers here, yeah, uh, Haley uh, Jankowski, and uh, she was telling me that uh, a man – held open a door for her, and this is a double-door situation. Yeah, two doors. Yeah. Everyone knows, guy code, you only need to worry about the first door. First door. Yeah, everyone knows that. But uh, (laughs) Is that written somewhere? That is, in the art of manliness. Okay, is that where it's written? Yeah, that's where it's written. Um, So somebody opened the first door for her. Yeah, this this guy, Uh being polite, let her in. And so she tried to return the favor, and she opened, held open the second door. And he kind of looked at her funny and refused to go through. No, really. You should go through, and she was kind of she really put, put off. Yeah, you know she she was not happy about that. Isn't that interesting? She's like, can't I have some chivalry too? Yeah. Well, okay, kind of. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. And then did he just walk away? Did he let? Did he ever go in, or did they just have a standoff? They had a standoff for a little bit, and she kind of had to give in. And fine, you hold my door. Yeah. I can't. People were staring, and she had to back down. So maybe though, the point I guess is. Maybe chivalry shouldn't be about your manliness. It's not about these tips or this, uh, you know, holding open the, 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 door. the doors. Mm-hmm. It's it's about the idea behind it. You respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Exactly. Have you ever heard that song? I have. My whole life. That's how I learned the word respect. That's where I learned it. That's how I learned to spell it. But honestly, that's what that's what it's about. It's about the characteristic, not the action. And so chivalry may not be dead. It just may be morphing. Into mutually respectful behavior. And that's completely fine in our modern-day Western society. But it, I guess you can't carry your sword. No swords, no helmets. No helmets. Uh, you got to leave your horses at home. Yeah, horseless. You yeah. don't. So watch this. If there's a puddle, I'm not going to lay my coat out for the lady to cross on my coat. She can, she can jump. Yeah, come on. Jump the lake, lady. Well, and that's a good way to tell if you want... You know, the person you're after is athletic yeah. also. Well, know. that's great. Yeah. Pretty Unless she's wearing heels. Yeah. Well, then she's super nimble. <laughs> then she's got really strong ankles. Yeah. Then you're like, wow, she's a keeper. It's interesting because that's how we used to see it. I want to know that you're chivalrous, that you will protect me, that you will always make my life nice. And now it's just, hey, let's just respect each other. You get my puddle, I'll get your puddle. Yeah. And it's and that's totally, Yeah. But you seem depressed about that. You seem sad. Well, I was just thinking. I, I, people confuse it. They they can they confuse chivalry. This this concept. This idea. This like, character. Right. You know, uh, with the white knight syndrome, hmm. and we need to do these things. Yeah. And we need. We'll look at somebody and go, "Oh man, her boyfriend is such a jerk." I am so much better. I would treat her so well. I need to go in and save her. I need to open those doors. Yeah, interesting. See, now we're opening up. Uh, by the way, we're calling this segment pontification. This is where you're. This is where you pontificate. Some would say pontificate if you were a pope, but you're not a pope. You're a I pond. Pontificate. Your pontification. Your pondi- You're pontificating. Mike Pond moment. Just right here. I like it. Um, mutual respect. R e s p e c t. And when we have that 
core value of respect, mm-hmm. then those those other things do, they don't matter. Well, and women will find that attractive in you. Yeah, and the right woman would let you open the door for her because she knows you're just trying to help her, and you're just trying to be respectful. Yeah, and it comes out naturally. You know yeah. that that kind of. Uh, that story I shared earlier with yeah. Haley, it, it was very robotic yeah. and, and I will awkward. open the door for you, right? Yeah, and it just wasn't natural. And so when you focus on this uh, this courtly love, this respect behind chivalry, behind gallantry, yeah. uh, it's just going to come out in That's your, it. your actions. You've, you fixed it because the principle is respect, but gallantry was one form of that. Mm-hmm. Chivalry was another form of that. But in the end, the principle will work. Exactly. And it can work both ways. She can open the door for you. You can open the door for her. And we could also interpret why you're doing it. You're not giving me your seat on the bus because you think I'm a weak puke that can't stand on my own. You're doing it because it's respectful. Exactly. And you can take it with respect and take it for what it was meant. And and so I guess that's what I'm sad about is the the confusion between those two ideas. We've got to get that through our brains. We do. And can't we all just love each other? That's my point. Just love. Love makes the world go round. There's another song. I'm quoting a lot of songs today. I don't even know why. You're on a roll. I'm on a rock and roll. Mike Pond, Pondificator, Pondificator, and his Pondification. Here on BYU Radio. This is BYU Radio. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Kimberly Giles will be joining us. Life coach extraordinaire. Walking us through how to repair your self-esteem. This is the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, I've got the guru in the office. In the, I mean, the guru in the studio. She's here. Sometimes you see her, you're like, oh man, is that a guru? And you're like, yeah, that's not just a guru. That's the guru. Kimberly Giles is joining us, president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. By the way, named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the galaxy by Good Morning America 2010. That, that happened all in 2010. Galaxy. Guru. <laughs> so I heard you tell your last guest, oh, I shouldn't call you guru. Nobody likes to be yeah, called guru. But, but I just called you that. I, well, no, but yeah, I have to say that because no I one know. else gets called that. You were deemed that by Good Morning Good America. Good Morning America. That's huge. Kind of. Galaxy. That's not even a planet. <laughs> That's a galaxy. So, Kim, uh, by the way, you got to go to Kim's website, claritypointcoaching.com. She's got so much information. She's written 240 published articles at least. It's probably more like 260 by now. Um, you, you talk on a lot of things, but it sounds like you've dealt with a little white knight syndrome. You've met somebody. I dated a white knight syndrome person. Did you really? And I realized listening to the show – because it was right after I got divorced, and I was messed. Well, he was trying. He was there to fix you. He was there to fix me, and he actually really did help yeah. when he kind of came in because I was messed. And then, and but, but then, then you I got started together. getting it together. And did he get less interested? Well, he got more and more controlling, and uh-huh. he was afraid that because I was getting it together, I was going to leave, which I was. Yeah, you were on your way. He was reading it right. Yeah, and so it was really unhealthy. But when I look at everybody he dated after me. Every one of them was this woman who had just been dumped or really? just 
How, yeah, mess. See, he should have been. If he were a therapist, he could make a living dating all these people. <laughs> yeah. See what I'm saying? Interesting but you, but topic. it's interesting. You noticed that, and then, but you also healed. I mean, everyone's everyone's had their time where they're messed up. Sure. We all we all have that moment. But it's also interesting that when you started to get better, that changes the system. He he yeah, needs to tighten down the screws. Yeah, the relationship suddenly doesn't work. Right. Because he needs you broken. Right. And then otherwise we have to start looking at him maybe being broken. Like why? What's well, your need to control? And yeah. We can't be the problem. It's right. got to be the other person. Well, you're a coach. You do this uh, and you have great success helping people. What do you see with all of this? We talked a lot about self-esteem. We talked a lot about fear. You're some of your favorite topics, fear, shame, guilt. Yeah. And I, I was thinking that as I listened to all of these, the the neediness, the shame that causes people to be, it's all yeah. fear. It's, it's all fear. It's and it all, all comes back Always. to that fear of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. I also was thinking, I've, I've mentioned on the show before, I've got a fear assessment yeah, yeah. on my yeah. website. Well. It actually will tell you if you're an overly empathetic. Which is what she talked about. Exactly. You feel too profoundly. You feel too much. Yeah. And that does cause a neediness. There's there's fear stuff behind that. So where do they go? They go to Clarity Point Coaching. How do they Dot find com, it? And you'll, you can't miss it. Take the fear assessment. There's a big arrow okay. that leads you there. And it will also show you if you've got some self-esteem issues. If mm. you have fear that you're not good enough. It shows up, and you need to understand how that fear is affecting all these areas of your life yeah. and your relationships because it drastically does affect everything. Isn't it interesting? Because you always pound home the idea of fear, fear, fear. The opposite of fear is love. Let it go, love. Well, I just feel that every problem we have, if you really look behind what's causing the bad behavior, yeah. it's a fear problem. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's so simple. Well, the way you even... Work it, solve it, fix it is just, it's... Got to teach you how to get out of fear. It's not, yeah. And really, it's just, it's really a minor shift that seems like a million miles away, but it's just a flip of the switch. Yeah, not that hard. The The thing is, with fear, especially the fear that I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. um, it causes almost every kind of bad behavior, the controlling nature, the, the neediness yeah. that I need somebody to need me all the time. It's all about getting this validation that we think yeah. will quiet that fear. Once, yeah, once I, once I have the degree or once I have the job or once I have the partner or once I – but it never quiets it. this person loves me and this – yeah. yeah. And, and if this person needs me, then I'm important and therefore I can quiet that fear of not being enough. So I always say you are not actually capable of love – and having a healthy relationship, if you're drowning in your own fear of not being good enough, it will poison the whole thing. So no matter what, it's going to – your your inability, your fear is going to poison and, or pollute any healthy thing that's coming in. You cannot – you're literally not capable of love that doesn't have strings attached. Ah. Now, you can do loving things when you're in fear. Right. But you're doing them to get what you need. So it's really about you. It's not about the other person. And you and I have talked a lot about all the selfishness that causes problems in relationships. Well, selfishness happens because I'm in fear, which makes me needy, and I'm focused on what I need. On my need, my need, instead of what you, instead of outside of me. So I really can't give to you until I fix my self-esteem. Love that. Do you find that with your oh, every day. clients too? Well, and it's and then you try to tell them it's not about them. It's not about the person you think it is. 
It's about you. It's about you. It's always about you. This is about you. And as soon as it's, I always teach um, the minute you can, the minute you can lose yourself in this, you, you'll find yourself. So the minute you no longer are worried about your fear, yeah, click. You'll find the answer. You stop trying so hard to get your spouse to love you the way you need, because yeah. they put all this energy into trying to get their needs met. Yeah, and that's the whole problem. You've got to stop. Needing it and be fine. But, and, and this says a lot because we see a lot of people and to know that it's coming down to one or two basic root ideas. It's simple. It's so simple. Don't, we shouldn't be telling anybody this because it's going to impact <laughs> our careers. But that would be selfish. Well, the thing is it's simple, but it's not no, easy. It's not easy to, so. to accomplish. But the, the fact that you can point it out. And then self-esteem, it almost is like – so maybe is self-esteem like a bucket we're supposed to fill with goodness? Or is self-esteem really just the absence of fear? Okay. This is the thing. Self-esteem is about how you value yourself. So yeah. where did your sense of what determines your own value come from? For a lot of us, 90% of it is subconscious. It's right. about things the way we were taught as a child to see our value. And a lot of us did not have a healthy start there. No. We no. were told we weren't good enough. Right. We were always made to feel we weren't good enough. So we've grown up with this idea that we're not good enough. Or we're told, oh, you are so beautiful. Your eyes are so beautiful. You're, oh, you're so cute. You have got the best little figure. So then all of a sudden our identity is around something that's kind what of temporary like. and tan- it's going to it's going to change. Yeah. What happens when our cute figure isn't so cute? So sometimes if we praise children too much, we yeah. teach them that their value is based in those things. Or their grades. Yeah. Or their performances or their basketball and we make it all of these things that really have nothing to do with who, who they, they are. are. Yeah. So yeah. that's another thing that shows up on your fear assessment. Yeah. It shows you kind of where your fears about yourself in your subconscious thinking come from. So you 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 trick them because you're having them fill out an assessment, but it's not the cognitive level that you're testing. It's and measuring the subconscious. The subconscious. Level. <laughs> that's right. It's a tricky that's little test. Devilish. That's cool. But, so that's one thing that affects your self esteem. Yeah. Another is we develop this expectation, the standard that I should be like this. And if I'm like this, I'm good enough. And mm-hmm. if I'm not like this, I'm not. If you're a four O student. Yeah, or I'm skinny it. or yeah. I, whatever, I make this much money yeah. and I've reached this in my career. The the weird thing about that is you created that standard. It's you in made you. the rule. Well, but see, some would say, well, I didn't. Society made me have to create that rule. Well, you accept you accept the, the rule. rule, but whatever it is, that's the rule you're using to judge yourself. Yeah. So that's kind of your high line. That's the high water mark. So you've created all the standard that you now aren't living up to and aren't being good enough. But the funny thing is, you could change the standard yeah. anytime you yeah, decided lower the standard. to. It's not about it's yeah, but we that's it. But that's a subconscious thing. We could say, I will now lower my expectations of myself. But it's harder, huh? Well, you have the ability to consciously decide how I'm going to determine my value from this point on. So you could create a healthier self-esteem anytime you want. Now, one of the things I recommend to my clients I like to think that life is a is a school. Life is a classroom. You're always about learning to learn and grow. 
But our value as a human being is not what's on the line Mm-mm. because your value comes from that you're a one-of-a-kind, irreplaceable soul. Right. There will never be another you. Yeah. You can't be anything less than infinitely, absolutely valuable. Yeah. And your value doesn't come from where you are on your track of learning. Or in relation to others. Or what you look like right. or anything else. I always tell people what you look like is a class you got signed up for. It's part of your journey It's here. just part of the test. It isn't oh, yeah. really who you are. Yeah, you got the portly little squatty class. Yeah. That's it. Seriously. It's, I really like that. If you, because it's to me, what you're doing is you're, that's the ultimate frame. If you frame your life as your your value is inherent, because you're you can't e- lose it. No. Well, especially if you know you're a son of God, kind of thing. If that's inherent, and you're here to learn, you're not here class, to perform and not dance. A test. You're not, a, yeah, you're not a performer. You're here to learn. You're here to grow. You're here to develop. You're here to to open up your abilities that only you can open up. So you can't fail cool. and be not good enough. All you can do is continue to learn. Mm-hmm. And you will. No matter what what you yeah. do, you're going to learn. Right. And that will keep happening. But your value doesn't have to be something that changes. And I often I use this huge. visual that your value is like a diamond. Yeah, that's my favorite thing you've ever taught me. It has the same value no matter the setting you're in. Yeah. So I always imagine throwing that diamond in the mud. Yeah. Does its value change? Nope. If everybody around it thinks it's stupid, does its value change? No. If it's in a big pile of manure. Same value. Diamond in the rough. So if you just decide that your value is not on the line, that no matter what happens in your life, you're going to see that you're good enough where mm-hmm. you are and you just happen to be a student in the classroom of life. And, you, yeah, you have a lot to learn still. Sure. But it doesn't change your value. But you might need to make that decision 15 times a day. Maybe more. Like the minute you're like, oh, I shouldn't. Oh, boy, I'm bad. I'm, and the minute you're falling in that funk where you're judging your value and nobody's going to – right then you just got to get back to the, the lesson. I'm a diamond. So I kind of re- recommend a little mantra you run all day long. My value's not on the line. My value's not on the line. And every time you That's do something great. dumb – and I have to tell you when I took over your show yeah. that day – Were you saying that I a had lot? a few flubs. You I did? I really did. You know what? I have never flubbed on this show. <laughs> These are you have big shoes to fill. Not really. See, it's because I'm I'm just crazy, and I almost. I mean, it sounds like I don't care. I do care, but my value is not on the line. Yeah. Well, that's what I kept telling myself the whole time. But you feel, but so but I there's messed pressure. up the Matt Townsend show, but get in line. I I'm mess a diamond. It up every day. My value is the same anyway. My I'm the same me. Yeah. No matter what I mess up. Well, so it works. It actually works. I had a client just last week who was a plumber. And he had to lay all this pipe, bury it, yeah. and he'd done it wrong. And it was going to be this huge, costly thing, dig it all up and redo yeah. it. And he said, in the past, my self-esteem would have just plummeted because right. I am messing up my career. Oh, I'm yeah. losing money. But the whole time he was doing it, he kept saying, my value's not on the line. This doesn't affect my value. I'm the same me. I love that. <laughs> this is just a lesson. My value's not we on the line. We can do this. Absolutely. And then I don't have to go chase... I don't my value I don't need other people to be broken so I can fix them. I don't need other people to be broken so I can control them. Their value is not on the line either. No. And whether they need me or want me or stay with me, my value is the same. Right. And and I'm okay. Now what kind of goes along with that is being in trust that your life is a classroom and it's always the perfect classroom for you. You're learning what you need to learn right now to maximize you. 
So if this relationship is working, this person's in your life so you can teach each other things. And if it's not working and they're leaving, this isn't about that you weren't good enough. Right. This is the lesson is over. And Love it's it. not about me. So they they need to go to your website and take the tri, what, the, the fear, the fear assessment. assessment. Go to claritypointcoaching.com. Just look for the arrows and it'll say, take the fear assessment. Take the fear assessment. One other resource I'd like to tell our readers yeah. about, about two years ago, I wrote an article that was published on ksl.com uh-huh. called Fearless Dating. And I encourage anyone who's worried they're in an unhealthy relationship or is single and dating at all yeah. to go to go KSL. You can search Kim Giles' yeah. Fearless Dating. It'll come right up. If you do go- if you do a Google search, Kim Giles' Fearless Dating, it'll come up. It'll come up. Yeah. And and I have my clients literally read that article every day. Read it, read it, And read if you it, read, read it, it, read it, read it, read it, you're going to get it. Repetition. That you can be in these relationships and be safe and secure and, and confident in you mm. and not needy or controlling or anything and have some great relationships. It works. I mean, really, I've seen it. And it, it the thing is, I really, truly believe it's as beautifully simple as you say it is. It really is fear, we, and then we. But we want to convolute it, trust don't we? And love. We want to. We want to twist it. No, but Kim doesn't know my situation. Everyone always wants to tell you their little situation's different. Yeah, they tell me sometimes it's not fear. It's not a fear problem. But yeah. as soon as we really look behind it, mm-hmm. they go, oh. "Oh, there it is." Want, want, want. It's like pulsating. A, yeah, it's, it's fear. always there. Kimberly Giles, uh, great job. And thanks for filling in for me. You did. I hear you easily filled the shoes. Well, thank you. It was fun. And you I... learned what you needed to learn. <laughs> it was a perfect lesson. <laughs> Whatever you needed to learn. For um, sure. Are you going to stick with us? Yeah. We're playing a game. All right. We're playing a game. Two truths and a lie, I believe, is the game coming up. Okay. <laughs> we like games. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. That's the hoedown music, which means it's time to wrap up the show. Hey, we're going to wrap it up playing a game. The game is two truths and a lie. As we've talked about today, you know, we see white knights in relationships all the time. There are some insane love stories out there as well. So insane that some are hard to believe. So we're going to be giving you two true stories and a fake story. And let's find out if love is really blind. Our own Jessica Littlefield. (laughs) I almost made up another name for you. (laughs) <laughs> Jessica Littlefield is going to be hosting the show. Okay, Jess, it's what true. do we do? What are the truths? What are like Kim Giles hanging out with us? Yes. Ready to play the game. Now, yeah. nobody, Kim can see right through the lie. This is a woman so. that has heard more lies in her life <laughs> than any other human being. <laughs> She's a human lie detector. <laughs> All right. I don't know. Is us. that from your family or from your career? Just, no, I, he's pulling this out of the air. <laughs> I both. would believe it, though. Okay, let's start into the stories because they're kind of long. Let's go. Okay, story number one. This is the emotional saga of Kelly Summers. In April 2010, the English woman learned that the man she loved had been keeping a gigantuum secret from her. He already had a long-term girlfriend. Summers was devastated, sobbing. She turned to YouTube and began posting video diaries, 62 of them. 
About her heartbreak and her effort to recover, she gained a loyal following of 11,000 viewers. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> including her ex who decided he wanted her back. He said, I watched every video and couldn't believe the devastation I left behind. Keith Tallis, the ex, said after the fact, I'd been seeing, um, I've been, I'd never seen such raw emotion and it made me realize how much I loved her. Hmm. So, okay. story number one, emotional saga of Kelly Summers. Okay, story number two. In 1973, Adele Wheeler had the perfect life. She got married, had a baby, and then 13 years later, she became depressed after losing a child. Um, and that had her become a recluse eventually. And so her husband divorced her um, and they lived on frozen meals. Um, so she always was staying inside. But one day her son um, persuaded her to go on a shopping trip um, and they met an unkempt man who was bleeding on his forehead, but they agreed to write him or give him a ride home. And then later found out that he was a escaped convict mm. and he... Um, he convicted murder. Mm -hmm. So despite his past, Frank makes the claim that the mother and son had never been in better hands. And indeed, he taught hen the son how to throw a baseball, change a flat tire, and how to bake. Meanwhile, um, Adele and Frank, they fell in love and became infatuated with each other. And then um, just they decided to leave the country so that he wouldn't get caught. And a neighbor came over and recognized him and then... He got sent to jail. Wow. Um, but when when he got out, they got married and lived happily ever after. Okay. Okay. There's story number two. This story is by far the craziest. Okay, um, which means it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1959, Linda Riss was 20 years old, beautiful, and she met an older man, Bert, who was a lawyer, um, but he was kind of shady. So within a year, they got married and... Uh, then she found out, or no, they got engaged. Then she found out that he was already married and had a child. Um, and she's, you know, was in shock, obviously. So she's like, until I see divorce papers, I don't know if I'd ever take you back. So he got divorce papers. But so she was scared of getting um, caught again in a lie. So she did some um, research and found out that the, the papers were fake. And so she was like, this is ridiculous. Fake I'm divorce. leaving. Yeah. yeah. So she leaves um, and he's like, I'm sorry. This this uh, this was because my my ex, my wife, I guess at the time, didn't want to divorce him because their daughter had severe learning disabilities. But she's like, you're crazy. I'm leaving. So um, so this guy named Bert, he uh, hired three men to throw chemical I think it's called lie in mm -hmm. her face. Yes. And she went blind. Um, her skin is disfigured. Her hair was burnt off. And his justification was that so no one else would want her. So then he goes to jail for 30 years. Um, but the story, gets even, the story gets even crazier. So near the end of his sentence, um, he starts writing her love letters again because he's just infatuated with this woman. Um and she was kind of broke. So he sent a lawyer over to give her this letter. And she's like, well, he can send me $50 a week because I don't have any money. So if he's going to, you know, I'm going to put money where your mouth is. So he starts sending her money. And um, so then when he gets out, all of her friends are pressuring her and are telling her, like, 
you don't have really many other options because she's blind and she's a little bit disfigured now. Um, so when he gets out, he she marries him, and they've been married ever since, and it's been a 30-plus marriage and happily ever okay, after. That is so off the wall. It has to be true. <laughs> I well, think that has nuts. to be true. It might be true, except then maybe part of it's true. So maybe enough of it's true, but then she changed something because she's dangerous what that part? way. What part would I, I don't change? Know, but... I think the first one is the lie, and the more <laughs> the second two that are so complicated – and even weirder. Yes. Because I'm people gonna, are weird. No, the people, tru- the, people are weird. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. Because you also have to okay. know the psychology of Jess. <laughs> oh. So she would probably make the first one. She would never just come out and make the first one a lie because she would think she wants to trick us by making it the second or the Unless third one. Unless she knew that that's what you would think that she wouldn't do. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's a curveball. I'm going to go with... I think the B story is crazy enough with Adele and Frank that that is probably true, except I'm going to think she changed that one. The A story, kind of boring in comparison to the other crazies, but I'm going to say boringly true. A true, B lie, C true. Okay, final answer. Okay, I say the first one was the lie. Okay. (laughs) I'm so scared. Should we wait to the last second? We've only got 10 seconds. All right. It was the second one. Oh, oh wow. Always that wins. third one was true. I know was your just, people. People are crazy. I just know how crazy she is. Yeah. And she, I know she spent a week was figuring this out. <laughs> P.S. Good was job, that, doctor. Because that was really good and convoluted, but then I bet you, I just thought you probably twisted it a little bit. Oh, that's a movie coming up. Oh, it is. I just gave everybody the end oh. of the movie, but just so you know. Okay, well, we I won't. do think all of those people fake. need therapy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> all I of think them. they just need Pretty you. Much. Send them your way. That's it. Go <laughs> see coaching. Kim Giles, Clarity Point Coaching. And by the way, go to go to Kim's website, claritypointcoaching.com. Take the fear. It's free. 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 And just you won't hound them it. and you won't no, be all on them. They they That's will good. just learn about their fear. And then you don't have to have these convoluted, crazy lives. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. See, You're being welcome. married, it's helping you. It's fun. We're all having you're, fun. You're becoming much more, blocks the fun. You're becoming more predictable for me to guess. Okay, that's true. It's great because you're once you're married, you get more predictable. <laughs> I don't know why. True. Hey, thanks for joining us, folks. Again, that wraps up the show. Uh, White Nights. Maybe it's just a syndrome. You know, walk away. Find health. Get rid of the fear. Go check the fear assessment at Clarity Point Coaching. And thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more ideas, more tools to give you a leg up in this crazy thing called life. This is the Matt Townsend Show, and you're listening to BYU Radio.